0: <laughs> Welcome to episode 35 of Behind the Blade Podcast. This is Matt Martin sitting across from Mr. James Stewart. What is up, people? Good to be here, Matt.
1: How was your, your week good
0: sir? You know, this week... Uh, oh, man, so a uh, lot's going on right now in our camp, uh, in Camp Vehement. But this week, I just needed this three-day weekend like no other. Oh, so word. from oh. Friday night... We went and set up camp out in Ravenwood, which is the a couple acres of woods that are attached to VMN headquarters. And we slept on the dirt for what, three, four nights or whatever. And <laughs> we cleaned up camp and we built fire pits and we kind of got it ready um, for the upcoming event. We're going to be having some visitors. We'll be touching on that here in a couple minutes. That's the Bark River grinding, the September grinding, which is the biggest of the year. Woo! Right? Yep. Oh, yeah. it's this, this, this is massive. Just
1: see how it sounds. A, this is a massive. We should definitely make the cutoff a little
0: bit lower. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely be saying that by Sunday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you guys think about 11 attendees next time? 11? Yes. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's uh, it was a good weekend. It's, we're, oh my God. So we're we're actually going to cover some personal news in the news segment from both the, uh, and we don't normally talk about Bark River and VM and all that much, but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on that we want to share with you guys, knowing that that a healthy body of our listenership is Bark River slash vehement fans. So we want to bring you guys up to speed too. But for all you other guys, a little bit of insight as
1: to what's going on in knife companies you may have never heard of, which is us. So (laughs) (laughs) Jim, how was your weekend? My weekend was pretty good, Matt. It was... uh... Was definitely a lot of uh relaxing sleep and and the vaunted status of being able to play video games for more than forty-five minutes. What was that word you just used? Uh Vaunt. Va- vaunted. Vaunted the Vaunted status. I've never heard that. You've term. never heard that? No, no, no I no. mean like I mean like it's a it's an exemplified top tier upper echelon status of being able to just relax. With a PlayStation controller, gotcha. oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's your Danu in that story was
0: oh. uh, like like a cliff. <laughs> it was, it was the do, absolute man. peak performance
1: of nothing. <laughs> yeah. well, there's a comedian, right? There was a the comedian who said that uh, who said that women's brains are wired one way, men's 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 brains are wired a different way. Well the, the men's the men's section of that was like men's 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 brains are wired into tiny boxes. And those boxes are, you know, all this is our mother in law box, this is our <laughs> this is our work box, this is our home life yes. box, this is our family box. But our favorite box is the nothing box. Oh my god, yes. Alright, you open it, there's nothing in it. It's our favorite box. Video games, for me, opens up that nothing box yes right so so i was able to actually access that nothing box i was able to get a few extra hours of sleep for like the first time in months i was like running super ragged and uh and it was it was good that's great yeah Yeah. downtime Mm
0: -hmm. is important i tell you what like we look forward to you know obviously up here in the upper peninsula of michigan we have uh very long and grueling winters. Yep. And all winter you fantasize about running through the forest, doing survival stuff and doing all these things <laughs> and have, riding your motorcycle. A, man, when it the,
1: warms up, I'm going to totally get out there. That's and yeah, you know I, what happens? You are slammed with obligations. Yeah. And
0: every weekend is more arduous than the last. At this point, I'm looking forward to winter because I know in winter on Sundays I am wearing sweatpants and I have a beer in a relaxed grip on extended, (laughs) almost hyperextended elbow while I spread out on the couch and just relax. And I have not experienced that since (laughs) last winter. So I'm, I'm like wringing my hands. I can't wait for snow to fall obligations to cease and me to assume the lazy curve that I want to. So, yeah, that's absolutely. man. (laughs) Yeah. So, all right, let's cut to the chase.
1: Mr. Stewart, what are you carrying today? Well, wow. anything in- interesting? Um, nothing, nothing new. I'm always carrying the Swiss, Swiss my uh, my Victorinox. Swiss I saw somebody tool. Uh, yeah.
0: soliciting to purchase one of those in, in one of the groups recently. Oh, really? And I had to chuckle. <laughs> and I'm not sure if it was a listener or not, but knowing how much everybody hates that tool, I have
1: to assume <laughs> that it was a listener that I was like, "Does anybody have a Victorinox Swiss tool?" <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Right. yeah, I don't. I don't actually know if it's true or not, but I did. But I heard it from someone. I heard from someone a while ago that was just like, "Oh yeah, they came out with the spirit later on because nobody was really buying the Swiss tool." And I'm just like, "Oh," because uh, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm holding uh, it, and I'm uh, like, "I'm like, mine, this yeah. one's this one's just fine, okay." That's too funny. That's great. I actually, used it earlier when we were, uh, when Matt and I were actually looking at a knife. I was, yeah, right, I, was, yeah. I was using it for dimensions and stuff because which was kind of preposterous because yeah. I
0: had a one sixty fourth sensitive machina scale
1: in my hand
0: and then Jim pulled out a Chevy bumper that looks like a signal
1: mirror and he I'm like this is good enough Mr. Martin this is good we shall use this tour It's is good <laughs> well it is accurate it's exactly four and a half inches there you go yeah. right so I can measure in increments of four and a half inches yeah, perfect <laughs> There's a joke, but we're not going to go into yeah, that. I, I was we're just, go into- <laughs> in my mind,
0: the material was coming in like Niagara Falls.
1: But this is a family show. And so <laughs> We're, we're going to keep that. We're going right. to keep that down. But keep yeah, no, I, um, I'm carrying it. Um, I've only, um, let's see, what have I done to this thing? Just to kind of keep it clean. There's lots of tools on it that are twisted up. I think the blade, I think I finally sharpened for the first time because I never used it because I carry a blade on me. There you go. And uh, But all the other tools are very beat up. I think I have aluminum shaving stuck in it from Corby Bolts. That'll do it. You know, um, You know,
0: in my opinion, there's actually nothing more useless than a knife blade on a multi-tool. Yeah. For us. Maybe because we're knife people. Maybe you guys can relate to that, too. Because Mm -hmm. I'll carry a multi-tool and a pocket knife and a fixed
1: blade. Right. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm
0: also kind of dense, so you would think that I would (laughs) drop the pocket knife. But I like them. I know you guys like them, too. So you can relate to that kind of little nerdism.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's been said before and it's been said by, I think it was Huck. One of one of one of one of our friends that has said that. That that the best combo you can carry is a multi-tool and a fixed blade. And I've been doing it for years. Yes. So when I saw that, I was like, yeah, yeah. score. I'm ahead yeah. of the curve. It is. And, uh, and so, a Swiss Army Knight Callox. Right. Or some kind of scout. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great tools though, right? I yes. Mean, and the other one that I'm carrying, I am carrying number four hundred and seventy-eight. Oh, yeah. Grunt. Grunt. Grunt today. I like seeing them later on. I like seeing them
0: after. <laughs> and for you guys who are maybe you're you're new at knife making or maybe you're a veteran at knife making and you can relate to this too. There's nothing more gratifying provided you did a halfway decent job in seeing one of your works months later or years mm-hmm. later. And you're like, I was so mad at that when I was working on it. I was <laughs> like, everything about it sucks. And then you see it, you know, after you're done being frustrated with it and you can still see little things here and there. But overall, you're like, yeah. Uh, it's all right. It's pretty cool. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: No, definitely, definitely uh, one of those uh, separation makes the heart grow fonder situations. Yeah, I guess yeah, that would you be know? the appropriate time to use it. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's got a satin tiger lips finish. I really like it a lot. A super clean handle, a copper, copper flared tube in the back regular the limited run of custom yep regular flared tube man i love this knife it gets just as much action on my belt as the ultra light bushcrafter sweet and and it's comfortable on the hip there was a
0: joke in that but because it's a family show i
1: refrained (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to bring me up to speed on the context later he's He's, he's, like i'll hit end and then he'll hit me with the joke and i'll i'll lose it (laughs) every time so uh, yeah, but that's what I'm carrying. Sweet. So uh, let me let me reciprocate the inquisition, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Martin.
0: What are you carrying, good sir? Not a thesaurus, but I recommend you guys do to keep pace with this episode. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, you know what? I'm carrying one of my own knives today. Oh yeah, I'm carrying uh, I'm carrying a, oh. a vehement knife tunnel rat today. And okay. it honestly, sometimes Jim and I will dig deep into our drawers phrasing again, (laughs) but uh, it's going to be that kind of episode. I can already tell, uh, we'll dig deep into our knife chest or whatever it is and try to find interesting knives that maybe we don't carry daily, but that we own and that are like, Hey, this would be great to talk about. Here's a maker or a design or a model or something like that, that maybe we haven't talked about before, but this time out of, I don't want to say necessity, just out of desire. I was like, Oh, I think I'm going to carry a tunnel rat today. And it's a, hell, I don't know six, six? Inch blade I yeah it's me, a, roughly me, a six let me inch get out blade. my swiss tool here Hold uh, on. hidden me. tang cpm 3v kind of a um
1: spear you would think i would know more about my it own knives five and a half
0: five and a half inch that makes sense almost all of my knives are five and a half inches. right well, you know you've, got that? The,
1: you've got laser eyes for that though and right, i, I just yeah.
0: like that proportion <laughs> and for me that makes a useful field knife now if it had to be used in a defensive capability any five and a half inch knife not just a tunnel rat um i feel like that's more than effective and it's not so much knife that you can't carry it. So it's a little bit bigger than traditional. What we consider a field knife in our mm-hmm. shop is something that may be slightly larger than a traditional bushcraft knife, but slightly smaller than what people would consider. an like a monster tactical knife, like right. think Rambo knife when yep. I say that. Yep. So we carry something, you know, we try to produce something that would be useful in the field, whatever that field may be. So we came up with a tunnel rat and uh, it's, it is one of those knives. Look, I, I'm not like, dude, this is the best knife in the world. Whenever it comes to my own work, I just make what I want to make. And I leave the opinions up to the people who purchase the knives. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So well, I don't I mean, have to be self-aggrandizing well, in that and,
1: sense. And to, and to kind of like reiterate our own point in something that we've always said, was that was that we are knife people first? Yes. And if we just feel like making that thing, that's our motivation yeah. first. And the customers and will determine yeah. what's hot and what's not. Oh, and believe me, believe me. Being being like a Bark River guy, I absolutely know all about customer determination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> no. Oh, I would have thought that would
0: have done better. Um, this yeah. is a popular seller for us, but yeah. it just it has a certain nostalgic feel to me that it it reminds me of a Randall in, in certain ways. And oh yeah, I it's just uh, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those knives that just, it makes me feel good when I look at it, when I use it. Yeah, go ahead. Let me see that. Um, So, so that's what I'm carrying today. It's got a stacked leather handle, aluminum Mm -hmm. pommel, brass guard, soldered guard joint, uh, satin finish. I don't know what you would call it. It's got a a false grind on top to kind of lighten it and kind of sex up the profile a little bit. You've
1: definitely got like a 90 degree striking area. Yeah. There's a little ricasso on the spine, you know, spine ricasso. It's, it's it's left unpolished to stay super sharp. And, and this thing will throw sparks. Yeah. We'll, we'll, it'll, we'll just, you know, absolutely throw a, sparks at a, at a bad firework show. Just good. Yeah. yeah just, just, just
0: good all around, yep. you know, field mm-hmm. knife. And one, uh,
1: one more thing that Matt did not mention about this knife is that, is that there's only one person on the entire planet who does leather stacks better than I do. You know, you know pat myself on the back a little bit, but it's Matt Martin. Thank you, sir. This guy in his fit. Oh my God. It's 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 just it's just really clean and really tight. It's all the dying. I mean, you can, you dying. Can, I mean it, it looks like it looks like it was compressed, stabilized, and, <laughs> and then drilled into as a solid block. But no, it's just leather.
0: That's uh, it's, it's cool. Yeah. You know, I like doing leather guards. I like the warmth of a leather guard when it's cold outside. I like the coolness of a leather guard yep. when it's warm outside. Leather is a terrible conductor, mm-hmm. so it is counter ambient temperature if that makes oh, sense oh yeah
1: no 100 yeah
0: there's a little bit of a shock absorption property mm-hmm. uh in a five and a half inch knife you're not really swinging it like a machete necessarily but anything you do you're just not getting that violent vibration yep. now of course it comes at the cost of not being uh as far as market perception goes a full tang knife which some people would consider to be uh, a, a minus a detriment, yep. you know. Yep. Some
1: people have that stigma. Um we've we've been able to prove that it's not totally true. No, I it's, can
0: you know you know we how about a marbles knife from that's a hundred years uh, yeah, old yeah, that absolutely. is still
1: a completely functional camp knife. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, so there, there's no stressors in it. And I think I think the tangs on those were dead soft. Yeah. You know yeah, or, absolutely yeah, right? yeah there's and it's still fine. I mean so if you if you need proof of a hidden tang knife strength Look at a Randall from the seventies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or find a marbles nowadays and put it under a little bit of stress. It's still a functional knife. They're great. So, I mean, especially if they're mechanically sound. Like, like this one's mechanically sound because it's all tightened up against the the guard. The marbles was the same way. The Randall's the same way. I mean, I mean, so yeah,
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Excuse me, I was stifling a burp. I didn't want to be rude and belch into the microphone. <laughs> it's your mic. Oh, uh, good point. So <laughs> no. yeah, so uh in this vein, and this isn't going to be like an mm-hmm. all Bark River vehement episode, but. In Knife News, we have some things in our camp that are kind of interesting. So Yep, and they're big events for us. Big events, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is the largest Bark River grind-in of the year. The September grind-in is the largest. Yep,
1: the September grind-in, actually, which is really weird because it used to be, and it's changed positions twice. It used to be the summer grind-in right was was the massive one and then the uh, the ice in we call it the ice in it took place it takes place in February it used to that one turned into a very small event where we capped it at like 15 20 people oh right and and it was just like we get together we make knives we take it slow we you know have some food dad cooks a big dinner you know this whole thing but then it turned into our biggest grindin you know and then and then it flip-flopped to the other end of the year where the fall grind in consistently now becomes our best grindin because uh, the weather's a little bit cooler I think it's it's not quite around Father's Day. More people are available. Right. And then that's when they just roger up. Summer and obligations they, they have come, come right, to an end. Right, yeah. exactly. You know, school's already started, so the kids are in school. I mean, yep. you know, you know, there's there's all there's all sorts of that stuff. Um, so as far as attendance for this one, it's going to be the biggest grind in grind in history. And we've been doing grind in since it's been forever for me. Two thousand four. Oh wow. Two thousand five. I
0: haven't been doing anything since two thousand other than smoking <laughs> cigarettes <laughs> since two thousand four. <laughs> right? Maybe right. drinking beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right?
1: Oh yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but uh but uh yeah, we've been we've been uh we've been busy we've been busy since then. We've got I think over a hundred makers registered. We've had attendance in wow. that range before. And we've done but we've never and we've done I think our record before potentially this grinding was eighty three knives in one event, one day. So it's individual people, you know, guided making 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 their own knives, you know, safe and everything, um, but completing eighty three knives. So on let's the table.
0: let's say that we have some new listeners or maybe people who've never been to a grindin. Yeah. What what exactly is a grindin? What does that mean?
1: Oh, oh from the ground up. Oh man. All right. So <clears throat> three times a year, Bark River Knives invites people um, up into a certain cap per event. Invites people to come and make your own knife. So whether that's a knife of our catalog, the way you want to make it, or we'll give you a bar of steel that's like two by 14, two cool. by two by 13. Yeah, it is pretty good. You know, big, a quarter right. quarter inch thick bar of heat treated A2 steel and a Sharpie. And we say, here, design what you want. Go to town. And and you make your own knife. I mean, there are people around to help. Matt will uh, likely be there. Um, there will be other makers there. I've got my whole crew there. Every single one of them is a talented guy who will help you um make pretty much the knife of your dreams and or well, you know, as close to it as we can get. No, so, no I've seen I've I've no. seen some dream knives come to fruition
0: out of there and it takes a village. You know what yep. I mean? Like Jim mm-hmm. said, they have a really talented staff. They have like uh nineteen great guys in one A hole maybe two,
1: <laughs> two? Definitely two. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but uh but the but the two biggest jerks are the two best grinders yeah, so yeah. I, I suppose they earn that spot yeah, so yeah. we just kind of like no, blind was, eye that there was a there was a
0: adult <laughs> cabaret that said 62 yeah. beautiful girls and two ugly ones that was on their their marquee and i always thought that was hilarious i was like that's
1: so brilliant oh, that's awesome i yeah. have no idea yeah, oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah, so, again. Yeah, but. Um, so so the events take place in February or March, uh, typically July and September. And it's kind of cool. Not only do you get to make
0: your dream knife, or maybe even it's just like a standard Bark River model, and it's just soup to nuts, just a regular Bark River, mm-hmm. but you get to walk through the paces and participate at whatever level you're comfortable with, knowing that you have kind of ringers by your side to help you make it through the whole process. But you get to see exactly how custom and mid-tech knives are made. And it's at... A slower rate than obviously all mm-hmm. pros operate, like the yep. like the Bark River Shop. When you guys are making knives, you're cranking out this huge number. Yep. That number is 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 cut in half at the very least. Your oh, production yeah. rate is cut in half as you're walking mm-hmm. people through. But you still get to kind of get the feel of wow, I see how this happens. I see every yeah. step that this knife goes through yep. before it goes out the door. Yep,
1: we we demystify <laughs> the whole thing. It's not it's not just one machine, and we've got guys with you know the visor glasses right. sitting down with the, the little little lights. No, it's just regular guys who are. You know they're 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 supporting their family. You know it's just and, and, and they work for us and they love knives and they're excellent workers and they're very good at what they do. Yep, absolutely. Um, and and they're more than willing to help you guys out. Well, and they
0: have hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of knives under their belt, so every, uh, yeah, everything yeah. they can do is is blindfold. Yeah. you're not going to surprise anybody. Though. I mean, I
1: mean, we've been in we've been in business since two thousand and one. Yep, and starting small, we really got up to the number that we do now in two thousand and ten but we do anywhere between 150 and 200 knives per day.
0: Right. That's crazy. Per
1: day. And, and so these guys are again, super experienced. I mean, um, um, uh, I've got I've got handle guys that will make hand, any handle shape that you like, or guide you in how to make it. They mm-hmm. know it so well. Moran,
0: Loveless, yeah. uh <laughs> Bravo, you know, Palmswell, Coke bottle, yep. Commando, you name it. Randall, straight Every, taper, everything. Like yep. I mean, anything that you could have ever imagined beyond just the depth of your catalog. But if you're like, I want to make a Randall like, they'll show you exactly yeah. how to do it. They, they're that well versed. So mm-hmm. I, I thought I would. You know, my first grind in was. Um, it was a private grind in with just a handful of custom makers. And Mm -hmm. so it wasn't the usual. We all so well, most of us kind of had an idea as to what we were doing, but it was eye opening for us, even as professional knife makers to see, Mm -hmm. Oh, no kidding. That's how you can do that so much faster, more (laughs) efficient, because when you're operating a machine like that, you find the most efficient methods. Yep. Uh, and, and it, it allows you to maybe, I don't know how to word this it allows you to maybe circumvent some steps without actually cutting any corners. So there's a lot of voodoo and knife making where people are like, well, this is, I know that when I first started polishing my carta, it was like trying to cure the hiccups. It was unbelievable. The things people had me (laughs) doing. I remember that. Yeah. The soapy water that I had to spray on the (laughs) used belts and it's flinging crap all over the shop. And I'm like, I guess this is how we do it. You know what? And it turns out you can just, Go through the belt progression, yeah, buff, you just, and you're you done. Just, you yeah, just sand it, and then so, this is
1: what you look for. And yeah. so,
0: knife makers and knife enthusiasts alike, it really. And this isn't a commercial for the grind, and this is me being serious, and this is me giving my, you know,
1: objective opinion. I guess
0: subjective, objective, If you're a subjective, senior. subjective, subjective,
1: objective, objectively achieved. I, can you give an objective opinion? is that if is you that have a basically exclusive, if, if, if you have a, I, they're not exactly mutually as a exclusive. fact, yep. this
0: is my opinion. Perfect. My opinion is that Perfect. if, whether you're a knife maker or just a knife enthusiast or a Bark River fan or whatever, um, come to the grinding, you try to get a slot in while you can, cause they do sell out. But, uh, mm-hmm come check it out because it's really eye-opening and as a maker, you'll pick up some tips and as an enthusiast, you'll pick up even more maybe appreciation for the craft in, you know, in itself. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. So that's pretty exciting. Um,
1: Yeah, so we're we're, going to be slammed... Uh, when, when is the grinding? The uh, to, 15th, 16th? Uh, yeah,
0: one week from this weekend. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's going to be pretty wild. And yep. uh, again, these are 2018 dates in case you're listening to this in the archives. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I typically end up doing a lot of custom work. And so mm-hmm. I'll, yeah. I usually book up with a handful of clients yep. first, and then my days are set. So yep. I, I post up at one grinder and just do my thing. So that's pretty fun. Uh Knives, we're... Oh my God. I can't even call it vehement knives anymore. The vehement family we've just expanded into. (laughs) I'm excited
1: for this too, by the way. Classic
0: styled outdoor gear. Thanks Jim. It's Mm -hmm. it's so we're making bags and backpacks, which is ridiculous. This is a stupid idea, but we're having so much fun with it. However, we're making prototypes trying to get everything dialed in just right. And this is a a whole Mm -hmm. new world for us, you know? So we're attempting that and at the same time trying to prepare the property for Grindin so that we can host people over here for after parties and stuff. So it's going to be a good time. But uh, yeah, lots and lots and lots going on in both camps. If So if we sound exhausted, that's why.
1: <laughs> True story. All right, are we getting pretty close? Yeah, we're 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 good, man. We right. uh, yeah, we can definitely take a quick break. And will we'll
0: be back. Into I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm excited. You're good. I that was makes, gonna say the same thing. This is a big deal, guys. You hear this? These sheets of paper. Oh, we're gonna cover in our history segment today. A Stay tuned. As we're gearing up for the September grind in. This is a good time to mention our friend Reed over at Northstar Trading Post slash Sharpshooter Sheath Systems. Try to get that out one time slow, and uh, he's he's the guy who makes a lot of our sheaths, a lot of our production sheaths, a lot of Bark River production sheaths. Word, but he also has <laughs> 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 the expression on Jim's face when he said "word" was priceless. <laughs> it, was, it was just like very serious, one eyebrow raised, and he's like, "word." <laughs> Continue, sir. <laughs> <laughs> One of the long-time traditions is for all of us to go over to Reed's place on Thursday evening as everybody's rolling in, and he cooks a fantastic meal. But what Reed has that is my favorite, you guys know that 99% of the time I host the history segment, Reed has got the most amazing historical knife collection, and they're for sale in his showroom. In fact, I just found out that he came across a sweet little stash of Skaggle knives that he has priced specifically for over-the-counter people present in the upper peninsula at that time i can't tell you the prices i can't tell you the models but i do recommend that you go check out whatever crazy concoction he has on the menu this year stop by tell him behind the blade podcast sent you i'll see you there i won't be mad if you hand me a beer when i walk in the door matt martin here with behind the blade podcast which you know because you subscribe telling you about our dear friends over at Genda industries i was fortunate enough to have the vehement knives booth right next to Genda industries for the first time i met mr tom blodgett and his crew however we've talked ad nauseum about the knowledge that flows through that camp what they know about sharpening, everything from traditional Japanese stones to the Spider-Co stones that they custom cut for your KME sharpeners, your Wicked Edges, your Edge Pros, whatever guided system you have. These guys have got it A to Z. Like what I did there, it's a little British humor for the letter Z. Anyways, just found out that Tom and company has just added the line of Ultramax Concentration Poly Diamond Emulsion, including 15, 12, 8, 4, 2, 1, .5, .25, and .10 Micron. Basically, this is the most diamond you can stuff into a bottle before it turns to goop. De Beers has long time promoted the phrase, Diamonds are forever. The truth of the matter is, societies have not been measured by their diamonds. They've been measured by their knives. Bronze Age, Stone Age, Iron Age, you name it, it's always been cutlery. So if you want to preserve your knives, tell the missus this year for your anniversary, you want diamonds, and she can get them at Genda Industries. Jim, where can she get those diamonds?
1: You can get them at agendaindustries.com, www.jendeindustries.com, and tell them Behind the Blades sent ya. And action. Oh, wait, we we were We're already 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 rolling. We're going to do a
0: dramatic clearing of the throat (laughs) to speak about the historic... Katana. Historically, katana were one of the traditionally made Japanese swords, Nihonto is the other term for that, that were used by the samurai of ancient and feudal Japan. Alright, I'm gonna ancient I and have to, and we'll Japan. get into the history as far as what is considered ancient and how far back they go so i mean i'm okay, curious to gotcha. see what they say versus what i think i know so okay uh let's see mm-hmm. the katana is characterized by its distinctive appearance a curved single-edged blade with a circular or squared guard and long grip to accommodate two hands Katana is the term now used to describe the family of swords known as nihonto that are two shaku, which is roughly twenty four inches. A shaku is is roughly a foot, so yeah,
1: it's it, it's it's dependent on uh, the, the the smith, isn't it? how long Huch. the shaku was because he would measure it it's yeah like, and, elbow to wrist right. right yeah it's like a yeah, it's like, forearm right yeah. and so mm-hmm. like the
0: shaku hutch uh, sorry guys I just realized we don't have yep. carpet I moved my chair um, the shaku flute was about one inch gotcha. or one foot I'm sorry yeah gotcha. so and, and,
1: and the bows were uh, roshaku yeah, there you go were, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. perfect yep. Um,
0: yeah so it's 23.9 inches in length or longer the katana can also be known as a dai or daido among western sword enthusiasts although daido is a generic name for any Japanese long sword literally meaning big sword as Japanese do not have separate plural and singular forms, both katanas and katana are considered acceptable in forms of English. Pronounced katana, kunyomi, Japanese reading of the kanji, and I can't describe the picture, but you guys all know what the, well, not all of you, but the blade, the iconic blade, right, yeah, you know, and... kanji. Um Originally meaning dao or knife, saber in Chinese, the word has been adopted as a loan word by the Portuguese language. In Portuguese, the designation spelled with a C, katana, means large knife or machete. And this is really? kind of interesting. Yeah, that, 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 is, that is slick. That's pretty cool. So yeah. the Portuguese actually used the term katana, spelled with a C, right. to describe a large knife or a machete, where it's a loan wow. word from the Japanese origins or you know even Chinese origins if you go way back, uh, for the sword.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. I love, I love it when it works out like that. Cognates yeah. um, that, that have nothing to do with English. Yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: The katana is generally defined as the standard size, moderately curved, as opposed to the older Tachi featuring more curvature, Japanese sword, with a blade length greater than 60 centimeters or 23 and a half inches. It is characterized by its distinctive appearance, a curved, slender, single-edge blade with a circular or squared guard, Tsuba, and long grip to accommodate two hands. We already covered that, but it was covered again in the description. With few exceptions, Katana and Tachi can be distinguished from each other if signed by the location of the signature, the Mei on the Tang, also known as Nakago. So if, and it goes into detail, so I should read this. I was getting ready to explain in my own words. <laughs> in general, the mei should be carved into the side of the nakago, which would face outward, also known as the omote side. They don't have that. I just knew that. When the sword <laughs> was worn, since Itachi was worn with a cutting edge down and the katana was worn with the cutting edge up, the mei would be in opposite locations on the tang. That's Sweet. especially important if you receive a sword that, and I'm ad-libbing right now, that's especially important if you receive a sword that is stored in what is considered shirisaya. So that mm-hmm. it's just a plain wood scabbard with a plain wood handle, usually out of like tulip poplar or something like that. Yep. And that is like a storage vessel. It's not a secret cane sword like uh, the yeah. proprietors of martial arts <laughs> stores would want you to believe. It's not a ninja sword. That is literally like a suitcase for your blade. Right. So when you receive yep. one of those and it's not in traditional furniture, it's it can be... Deceptive. You may not know exactly what you have, but seeing the Mei on the side of the Tang, on the Omote side or mm-hmm. Ura side, you know, the reverse or obverse, basically, uh, counter-respectively, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> counter-respectively. <laughs> <laughs> that would that, give you an indication as to what it is that you have and error and stuff like that. So uh, Western historians have said that Katana were among the finest cutting weapons in world military history. And that is relatively 100%. undisputed you yeah. know what i mean mm-hmm. based on their metallurgy which we'll get into here in a minute so the history of the sword the production of swords in japan is divided into specific time periods the jokoto ancient swords until around 900 current
1: era uh, ce and uh, B- we BCE, uh, before common era but common era before okay, common era okay. which is which is basically bc gotcha yeah, yeah right yeah, did we drop that
0: did that change was
1: that part of uh, the... yeah yeah they dropped it later um i um i can't Remember exactly when, late 90s, early 2000s? They okay. changed it from uh, BC AD to, to I think BCE. Common era, A-C-E. Yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but it's the same time point.
0: And the Koto period <laughs> would be old swords from around 900 to 1596. Shinto, which are the new swords, are 1596 to 1780. Shinshinto, newer swords, new new swords, uh, 1781 to 1876. Gendaito, modern swords, 1876 to 1945. And Shinsakuto, newly made swords, 1953 to present. So the f- he- first use of the katana were as a word to describe a long sword that was different from Tachi occurs as early as the Kamakura period, which is 1185 to 1333. These references to Uchi katana and katana. Seem to indicate a different style sword, possibly a less costly sword for lower ranking warriors. The Mongol invasion of Japan facilitated a change in the designs of Japanese swords. Thin tachi and chokuto, chokuto, chokuto uh, style blades were often unable to cut through the boiled leather armor of the Mongols, with blades often chipping or breaking off. The evolution mm. of the tachi into what would become the katana seemed to have continued during the early Muromachi period, 1337 to 1573. Starting around the year 1400, long swords signed with a katana-style mei were made. This was in response to samurai wearing their tachi in what is now called katana-style, cutting edge up. So as you see, it would be like a frowning face, right? right. And when it, yeah, in your yeah. obi, it's <laughs> in your sash, it would be er- <laughs> arced up. Um, as I talk, Japanese swords are traditionally worn with the may facing away from the wear. When a tachi was worn in the style of a katana the cutting edge up, the Tachi signature would be facing the wrong way. The fact that the swordsmith started signing swords with a Katana signature shows that some samurai of that time period had started wearing their swords in a different manner. So it's Mm. kind of changing with the tides, right? It's like a fashion statement, not a fashion statement, but they're (laughs) like, well, I guess this is what we do now. And And if I'm not mistaken, and they may get into this, if I'm not mistaken, I think that makes the difference between being mounted on a horse versus walking on foot. And yeah. Tachi were slung pretty slow. Yep. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if you're mounted on a horse, it hangs down a little bit further than would be comfortable meandering through the streets yeah, buying rice balls at the you market. Would, you
1: would support it differently in the same length versus a, versus a horse, which would be much lower. And I mean, the, actually you have to reach for it. The yeah. draw method is different too yep. because you're going to yeah. be
0: drawing and either cutting, you know, horizontally or cutting down on your opponent, in, you know, like ia- Iaido. So I sure. mean, you're, yeah. it's going to be your first strike. Whereas on a horse, you're going to actually be cutting on the low strike, so imagine, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So are yeah, you're,
1: you're, you're actually high on that. Elbow on the, to the, the sky. Upward you're be... apex, and you actually swoop out. And so elbow, I, I elbow. think that had something to do with it. We'll see if they cover that in here. Interesting.
0: The rise in popularity of Katana among samurai came about due to the changing nature of close combat warfare. The quicker draw of the sword was well-suited to combat where victory depended heavily on short response times. The katana further facilitated... I feel like m- my accent is obnoxious. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> further. I, I, I'm sure it is. I don't have a basis to know, but... <laughs> the katana further facilitated
0: this by being worn. Thrust through a belt like sash or obi with the sharpened edge facing up. Ideally, samurai could draw the sword and strike the enemy in a single motion. Previously, the curved tachi had been worn with the edge of the blade facing down, suspended from a belt. The length of the katana blade varied considerably during the course of history. In the late 14th and early 15th century, katana blades tended to have lengths between 70 and 73 centimeters, which is 27 and a half to 28 and three quarter inches. During the early 16th century, the average length dropped about 10 centimeters, huh. approaching closer to 60 centimeters. By the late 16th century, the average length had increased again by about 13 centimeters, returning <laughs> in, to approximately 73. So the like carbine versions didn't work as well. We're going to go back to the big ones. That's uh, that, that's, that's how I, I view that. That's funny. That's a little bit of minutiae, I think. Like, you know, it's amazing, uh, though. I think... There is a statement whenever you mix art with weaponry. Mm -hmm. And whenever that happens, a a statement is going to fluctuate with trends and style and fashion. And and I hate to diminish what that is, but let's be honest. That's look at where we're at today with folding pocket knives. You think (laughs) in a couple hundred Uh. years, people are going to be like, and during the 20 teens, they went to five sixteenths blade stock on pocket knives (laughs) and then reverted back to eighth inch. You know what I mean? And so that is basically, I think what we're describing. (laughs) The katana was often paired with smaller companion swords, such as the wakizashi, or it could be also worn with a tanto, a smaller, similarly shaped dagger. I think dagger is a misnomer in this case. The pairing of a katana with a smaller sword is called a daisho. Only samurai could wear the daisho. It represented their social power and personal honor, spelt with a U in this Wikipedia article, to be fancy.
1: (laughs) <laughs> just, just, I, well, next sip of beer I'm taking well, will be with my pinky out yeah pinky's out pinky's out <laughs> uh,
0: the modern katana again Daito uh, during the Meiji period the samurai class was gradually disbanded and the special privileges granted the, to, to them were taken away including the right to carry swords in public the ooh hatori, Hattori haitore edict in 1876 forbade the carrying of swords in public except for certain individuals such as former samurai lords daimyo the -hmm. military and the police skilled swordsmiths had trouble making a living during this period as japan modernized its military and many swordsmiths started making other items such as farm equipment tools and cutlery you guys, does that ring any bells to you guys from last couple episodes ding, ago? Ding, ding, it yeah. better. The Higo right? The came out because yeah. of that. Military action by Japan in China and Russia during the Meiji period helped revive interest in swords, but it was not until the Showa period that swords were produced on a large scale again. Japanese military swords produced between 1875 and 1945 are referred to as gunto military swords. During pre- See, I just got a gunto. Did you? I, yeah, I oh, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah, just you know got one about and about it's yeah. in Shirasaya, and it was so exciting to kind of research <laughs> who the maker was because it does uh-huh. have a sign tang. And, uh, I, I put a lot of feelers out to our group and to a lot of my friends, uh, who have friends and family in Japan.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice.
0: And I, I tell you, I had to put it out. Well, we put it in front of thousands of people, right? But I, I had probably 12 responses. Mm-hmm. Nine of which were different. Oh, no. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and so, it, I mean, it was insane, uh, the level of translation, because even the writing was old. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's an old style. So somebody, imagine handing uh, old English parchment text mm-hmm. to an 18-year-old who may work at a mall or something like right. that. And they'd yeah. be like, uh, I mean, I think this is what it says. <laughs> like, So it was that kind of contrast, uh-huh. you know what I mean? So it was, it was pretty interesting, though, but we did get to the bottom of it. I was pretty excited. Sweet. During the pre-World War II military buildup and throughout the war, all Japanese officers were required to wear a sword. Traditionally made swords were produced during this period, but in order to supply such large numbers of swords, blacksmiths with little or no knowledge of traditional Japanese sword manufacture were recruited. In addition, supplies of the Japanese steel, tamahagane, used for sword making were limited, so several other types of steel were also used. Quicker methods of forging were also employed, such as the use of power hammers in quenching the blade in oil rather than hand forging and water. Uh, quenching in water, by the way, is an art all in of itself. Reading these books as kids, as we came up trying to make knives, we're like, all we have to do is heat this thing to critical temp and we're going to dunk it in this bucket of water and life is going to be great. And it actually sounded like a wind chime as soon as it hit the water and it just completely exploded. (laughs) So, yeah. So there is an art to that and it has to do with mixing salt and making a brine and preheating the water. There's a lot to it. Um... (laughs) The non traditionally made swords from this period are called Showato after the regal name of the Emperor Hirohito. And in 1937, the Japanese government started requiring the use of special stamps on the Tang Nakago the to distinguish these swords from traditionally made swords. During this period of war, older antique swords were remounted for use in military mounts. Presently in Japan, Showato are not to be considered true Japanese swords. And they can be confiscated outside Japan. Yeah. However, they're collected as historical artifacts because it's still a war relic. Right. It, no different than a high-value bayonet or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they And some are garbage. I'm not going to lie. I've seen some that are just miserable, even yeah, in good are, pristine that condition. I, that I've
1: had old. Yeah. You, they're yeah. just poorly made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and other ones, you have to do some serious looking Without exposing the signature to find that mon on the Nakago, that mm-hmm. little stamp that says, this is shawato. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So without doing that, you'd be like, well, this is a finely crafted sword. And then that was the case in mine. I said, this thing is beautiful. I mean, it's mm-hmm. got a really active hormone. It's, I mean, everything about it is on point. And I pulled it off and I was like, oh, I was a little bit disappointed. But at the same time, I'm a military knife collector. So I was like... Okay, I just had to put it in that <laughs> compartment and I was very excited. Top right. of the game in that. so <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> now,
1: in the post World War II era in Japan from
0: 1945 to 1953, sword manufacture and sword related martial arts were banned. Many oh no. swords were confiscated and this is the tragic part destroyed. Oh. And swordsmiths were not able to make a living. Since 1953, Japanese swordsmiths have been allowed to work, but with severe restrictions. Swordsmiths must be licensed and serve a five-year apprenticeship, and only licensed swordsmiths are allowed to produce Japanese swords, Nihonto. Only two long swords per month are allowed to be produced by each smith, and all swords must be registered with the Japanese government.
1: Oh, wow.
0: That's, I mean, that's tighter restrictions than we have on machine guns. Yep. Think about that. Yep, absolutely. Isn't that
1: crazy? Yep. Oh, crazy.
0: Outside Japan, some of the modern katanas being produced by Western Smiths use modern steel alloys such as L6 and A2. I've seen L6 do amazing things in swords. Oh, oh I, my imagine. I imagine a
1: sword. Yeah, they,
0: They'll they bend it into a full U yeah. and then it returns back. I mean, it's really remarkable. Excuse me. These modern swords replicate the size and shape of the Japanese katana and are used by martial artists for iaido and even for cutting practice, Tamashigiri, but use the modern steel and technology the use of modern steel technology – sorry, guys – can create strong blades without the risk of damaging or destroying artisans' hard work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like when you don't necessarily want to take the creme de la creme, you want to appreciate mm-hmm. it for the art in which it is. Not necessarily yeah. smash it into tatami to mats like <laughs> for the weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mass-produced swords, including iaido and shinken in the shape of katana, are available from many countries, though China dominates the market. These types of swords are typically mass-produced and made with a wide variety of steels and methods. Katana are traditionally made from specialized Japanese steel called tamahagane, which is created from traditional smelting process that results in several layered steels with different carbon concentrations. This process helps remove impurities and even out the carbon content of the steel. The age of the steel plays a role in the the ability to remove impurities, with older steel having a higher oxygen concentration, being more easily stretched, and rid of impurities during hammering, resulting in a stronger blade. That's interesting. Uh, The age of the steel, older steel having higher oxygen concentration...
1: I don't... The, uh, is that because they weren't able to actually forge weld it down far enough to be able to even even it out? Or they just didn't normally... Yeah, but
0: they're saying being more easily stretched. So it's almost like they it, they uh, harvest old steel. Like,
1: you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know oh, how no, that works out. Yeah, yeah That, it, that it, one's got me a it, little it bit. That doesn't play with our knowledge base here. Yeah, it's not computing. So.
0: Uh, the smith <clears throat> begins by folding and welding pieces of the steel several times to work out most of the differences in the steel. I mean, that's just homogenization, yep. right? You know what I mean? Yep. You're just... Imagine... Uh, getting uh, yeah. a dirty piece of silly putty, like a dirty yep. face on silly putty, and then folding it so many times that the whole ball of silly putty becomes yep. a little bit darker than it started, but yep. not as dark as the dirty.
1: Putty. And then even if you had two different steels, it'd be like a red, a, it'd, be, it'd be like a red play doh ball and a blue play doh ball, and, you'd and, and, and you end up sword. with a purple. You end with a purple one. You're right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Um, the, the, let's see. Do, 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 Smith begins by folding, welding pieces of steel several times, work out the differences in steel. The resulting block of steel then is drawn out to form a billet. At this stage, it is only slightly curved or may have no curve at all. The katana gentle curve is attained by a process of differential hardening or Mm -hmm. differential quenching. The smith coats the blade with several layers of a wet clay slurry, which is a special concoction unique to each sword maker, but generally composed of clay, water, and any or none of ash, grinding stone powder, or rust. The process is called... Uh The edge, I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to spell that one out. The edge of the blade is coated with a thinner layer than the sides and spine of the sword, heated and then quenched in water. Few sword makers use oil to quench the blade. Uh, the slurry causes only the blade's edge to be hardened and also cause the blade to curve due to the difference in densities of the microstructures of the steel. And that's a fact. So they call that curve Sori,
1: right? Yep. And, and it can be totally straight yep. as soon as they dunk it in the water and it will, and it'll oh, curve. Yeah. yeah. I think one of my favorite videos online is is exactly that. It was a current swordsmith in a clear yes! glass tank. Dude, that's and, so awesome. Uh, it, it's awesome. It, it bends down like a crushed banana and then it just goes whoop it's intense in, in the water and then right at the end of the video you hear a little pink
0: that's right i forgot <laughs> and that one's done oh, that, that's yeah, it yeah. you're done um yeah i always it, it's actually harder mm. to make a straight sword yeah. than it is to make a curved sword using that quenching process oh,
1: oh yeah yeah
0: at this stage it's only slightly oh, let's see we already got that part <laughs> uh sorry we went off on a tangent do, 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 do. i went really far away let's <laughs> see Uh, Here it is. When steel with a carbon content of 0.7% is heated beyond 750 degrees Celsius... It enters the austenite phase. Mm-hmm. When austenite is cooled very suddenly by quenching in water, the structure changes into martensite, which is a very hard form of steel. When austenite is allowed to cool slowly, its structure changes into a mixture of ferrite and pearlite, which is softer than martensite. This process also creates the distinct line down the sides of the blade called the hamon, which is made distinct by polishing. Each hamon and each smith's style of hamon is distinct. And that is a fact jack. So a lot of times, yep. depending on the activity of that that temper line people will call it, it's mm-hmm. that kind of wavy line, guys, that, that goes along the edge of a Japanese sword. Yep. And certain schools, meaning, you know, certain houses of manufacture will have it's almost like a signature. Yep. And ha mon, yeah. you know, mon being signature, yeah. Ha being edge. Yeah. Edge
1: signature. I yeah. mean it's that literal. Yep. Nice. <laughs> I love it when it's easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Yep. After the blade is forged, it is then sent to be polished. The polishing takes between one and three weeks. Yeah, Think crazy. about that, Jim. You said oh you do God. 200 knives a day.
1: And then they're polished. Yeah, and they're polished.
0: <laughs> this is one in three weeks yeah. per. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's nuts. And, and you're like,
0: oh, we can only make two a month? I can't even make two a
1: month. <laughs> <laughs> especially especially their, their methods. Their methods are absolutely just on the stone doing sections at a time and then blending. Insane. Very and uncomfortable
0: the, posture that they have to do also. Oh yeah, it's oh. A,
1: it, I would not have the patience to do that. I think it's because I'm already spoiled by what it, you know, by what we are. Where's the on button? But... <laughs> yeah. On switch. Yeah. <laughs> is there a motor to
0: this thing? The polisher uses a series of successful successively finer grains of polishing stones in a process called glazing until the blade has a mirror finish. However, the blunt edge of the katana is often given a matte finish to emphasize the hamon.
1: Is that just they just do the final edge by itself and then blend? It's
0: usually, I think, a niku uh, they do that, where they kind of roll it in. Okay. But that's... Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Edge. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. often given a matte finish to emphasize a hemat. Okay. I see what you're saying. I guess it's not edged. But that's a weird thing to say, the blunt edge. Mm-hmm. Because that's actually... Polishing is sharpening yeah. in swords when you discuss that. Yeah. Um, that would be something to talk to Tom Blodgett at Genna Industries about. Uh, katana were used by <laughs> samurai in both the battlefield and for practicing several martial arts and modern martial arts. Still use a variety of katana today. Martial arts in which training with katana is used include iaijutsu, batojutsu, iaido, kenjutsu, kendo, ninjutsu, and tension shoden katori shintoryu. <laughs>
1: oh
0: my god, just in case you were wondering. Uh, <laughs> If mishandled in its storage or maintenance, the katana may become irreparably damaged. The blade should be stored horizontally in its sheath, curved down, and edge facing upward to maintain the edge. It is extremely important that the blade remain well-oiled, powdered, and polished, which is in reference to use of the uchiko ball, which is like a fine dust. It's like an abrasive that you use to clean it off with. Right. Um, the natural moisture residue from the hands of the user will rapidly cause the blade to rust if not cleaned off. The traditional oil used is shoji oil, 99% mineral oil, and 1% clove oil for fragrance. You know why else? Hmm. It's not just for fragrance. Have you ever noticed that clove oil is included in emergency dental kits? I have not noticed that. Why? Why is that? It is a natural local anesthetic. Oh. So while cleaning your sword, if you cut yourself it gives you a mild amount of pain relief Instantly. Nice. So that nice. is one of the things about clove oil is yes, it does smell really good, and yes, as you know, sword enthusiasts, we become comfortable with that smell and it's nostalgic and mm-hmm. everything else. But the fact of the matter is it's included because it's a natural anesthetic. That's awesome. Yeah, it makes I had no you numb. Yeah, they That's include cool. it in dental kits for the exact same reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
1: I wonder if there are any swordsmiths that went to go clean their knives that like left bloody thumbprints everywhere. Oh, and like, yeah. oh I had no idea. <laughs> Similarly,
0: when stored for longer periods, important that the katana be inspected frequently and aired out if necessary in order to prevent rust or mold from forming mold may feed off the salts in the oil used to polish the blade oh man (laughs) (laughs) it's just a circle of hardship um (laughs) and now here are some notes on ownership and trade restrictions i know this is a long-winded one but there's a long history involving the sword so under the firearms and offensive weapon weapons act of 1990 order to order 2009 katanas made post-1953 are illegal unless made by hand according to traditional methods. Now, this is applies to the Republic of Ireland. So this is an Irish law.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. In, in the UK. <laughs> Apparently, it was enough of a problem of drunk Irish guys yeah, right. swinging around katanas. Good <laughs> God, we have a major katana problem. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a Guinness, O'Malley. Right. <laughs> we got me grandpappy's katana. <laughs> <Sorry>. Oh, <laughs> my goodness.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait to get the emails from that one. All right, United Kingdom. In the UK, as of April 2008, the British government added swords with a curved blade of 50 centimeters or over in length. The length of the blade shall be the straight line distance from the top of the handle to the tip of the blade to the offensive weapons order. This ban was a response to reports that samurai swords were used in more than 80 attacks and four killings. That's not funny, but I mean, it's kind of crazy. It's on the nose um, here. <laughs> over the preceding four years, those who violate the ban will be jailed up to six months and charged a fine to 5,000 oh. pounds. Martial arts practitioners, historical reenactors, and others may still own such swords. The sword can also be legal provided it was made in Japan pre-1954 or it was made using traditional sword-making methods. It is also legal to buy if it can be classified as a martial artist's weapon. This ban mm-hmm. applies to England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. This ban was amended in August 08 to allow sale and ownership without license of traditional hand-forged katana. Uh, Let's see. And that, my friends, is the history segment. If you want to see some really cool pictures and kind of it'll kick off a little uh, trail for you guys to follow on the construction methods of the Japanese samurai sword or katana... Um, you can go to this Wikipedia page and just search Katana Mm -hmm. and, uh, it'll come up with K A T A N A for anybody who's not familiar. And there's a lot of cool diagrams as to the different schools of thought as to how the steel should be folded, Mm -hmm. how the steel is wrapped around the jacket, the core, the jacket around the core, stuff like that. So it's really interesting. Um, ricecracker.com is a really cool website that we used to go to all the time. They have, I mean, you can buy like an $80,000, sword on there at any given moment <laughs> and oh, so That's it's awesome but to see uh-huh. the craftsmanship that went into the most high end and then mm-hmm. you get to research the history on those they will all be mbthk you know licensed swords and stuff like that so there's a lot of fun stuff to look into be warned this is a very expensive hobby in fact it's one that i currently cannot Whew. even afford although <clears throat> oddly enough i'm an, an enthusiast so well, and, yeah, we're, we're in a
1: different position. Yeah, we, we'll we'll just make one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that actually is one of my uh, one of my knife maker bucket list items. Oh, of course, is, yeah, is, to, is so. to make like a really good like traditional nice looking katana. Oh so, man, yeah, I would uh, right. CPM. Need some need some apprentices. If yep. we
0: started now, yep. by the mm-hmm. time we're too old to do it, we would probably be close to finishing. So Near, nearly, yeah, we're, yep. where we're at. So very cool. We'll be back in a moment with your Q and A. Jim, you're obviously the computer brains behind this operation.
1: Just behind this operation, but yes.
0: <laughs> In your computer experience, is there anything worse than calling tech support?
1: Matt, um, calling tech support is like calling Comcast. <laughs> it's like a dentist whose
0: only tool is a 22, and loves using it. Right. Yes. You know who does not? Provide that level of painful customer tech support.
1: Matt, I have no idea. I think
0: you do. Do I? It's the family of KME sharpeners. You're right, I do know that. Yep, those guys. (laughs) If you want to talk about a drive for customer satisfaction, you honestly do not have to look further than KMEsharp.com. Because I tell you what, these guys, not only do they give you the best Bang for your buck. The best value in a guided system built for the working individual who can either get their utility knife, whip sharp with a toothy edge, or if they want to take it to that cosmetic mirror, they can do that too. These systems are capable on just about every edged implement you can imagine, from broadheads to axes. Think of a spectrum ranging from fine edge to coarse choppers. Unbelievable. But if you run into an issue, you can call them directly. You can email them. You can comment on their YouTube video. And these guys, not only are they guided sharpeners, they're guided sharpeners. They will guide you in sharpening. So if you have any questions, visit the website KMESharp.com. Visit their YouTube channel, which is YouTube.com slash KMESharp. You'd think I'd know that by now, right? Jim's just my guy. for that. That's why he has to deal with the tech support. And I get to deal with people like K- the folks at KME Sharp. <laughs> Hit them up. Be sure to tell them Behind the Blade sent you. I tell you what, we have developed such a close relationship because of you guys, not because of us. We just talk about them on the radio. You guys actually buy their product, support their product. We just shed some light on it, and they put a keen edge in. And welcome back from that awesome segment, Matt. I love the Katana. Katana, yeah, hey, that, yeah, I was yeah, like, it. man, they wrote it so many times that I feel like I put a weird emphasis on it. it, it emphasis on I, it was, the wrong it was, making, it was irritating me, so I,
1: <laughs> forgive me, guys. All right, well, uh, we are in Matt and I's both, both of our favorite segment is the Q and A's for you guys. We posted up a question box last time we had done this and we have a number of questions that we still need to go through. Yeah. I think we ran so, out of time so we didn't yeah, get we to did, answer them we all. And... Did. I actually cut it short last time because we're like, I'm like, this is a 2000 minute segment. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. probably wrap that up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here we are. And uh, good, good sir. Matt first question.
0: What do we got? So from the behind the blade podcast, Facebook page, we have Michael Spath. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I think I am. I feel like those two letters should be joined, like in the Latin A E thing. Yeah, yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, yeah. That'd be cool if you did that. Um, not, I don't mean to criticize your name, bro. But uh, to stabilize or not to stabilize curly maple. Some makers stabilize it, and others don't. I, the user, find much. Di- will the user find much difference? I would assume stabilized wood would be better for wet conditions mm-hmm. or game processing. Thanks,
1: guys. Uh. I would say that your instincts are spot on. I mean, it's like, it's like, um, um, the only, the only real time where unstabilized would be good in that condition is if you were totally sure that the surface finish is polyurethane. Right. The crap out of a it. Dipped. Right. <laughs> like, like, candy like, dipped. Like dipped, uh, dipped, polished, dipped again, polished, two hour set each time. There you go. Good to go. Hand buffed.
0: It adds a, yep. a, exponential amount of cost to the parts also, oh well and right? you
1: know, just just the time that you're that you're delaying getting that knife out there right. to sell i mean yeah. but by the time you're done with it the polyurethane finish looks awesome yep. if it's done right i mean i've seen really really nice polyurethane i think policies. tongue oil is another option too tongue oil is a good option it's not it's not i don't know if it seals as well
0: it does but it's insanely yeah. labor intensive oh, oh, so, really? so you, okay. you do coats and it takes like weeks. And oh, you yeah. steal will steal wool between coats and you just right. constantly kind of fill it until it's completely saturated. So it's like gotcha. analog stabilizing almost, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. um, okay. but yeah, I, I would definitely err on the side of caution and go with stabilized, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, um, um
1: I, another trick on the stabilized curly maple from a voice of, from voice of experience, clean your wheels really? before you polish it big time. Because, mm. because, you know, stabilized or not, every wood still has little pits, Leftover little tiny pinprick oh, air pockets, like your surface and, porosity, yeah. and they will fill if you if you if you uh if you polish some aluminum, like oh, uh, right, 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 right. right. Matt, Matt just closed I, his, I his eyes and rocked I've his head back. Right, yes, right. I mean, like uh, it's uh, yeah, absolutely rake your wheels clean, put a fresh piece of compound on there, or even grab a brand new wheel, like off your shelf, put it on, and go, Dress I'm yeah. just going to. Some compound down here, and do this one handle, and then take the wheel off and put my other crappy one back on.
0: Reason nine hundred and sixty-eight why I don't do wood handles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just you know, so 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 by all means, by all means, that's that's how I would approach that. But just be aware that it gets dirty really easily. But yes, once it's impregnated with resin and it's baked, it's done. It's there you there. go. So yeah, perfect. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to kind of
0: alternate from the page to the Behind the Blade Trench Crew group on Facebook, so we have question boxes in both with unanswered questions. Jim, what do you have from the Trench Crew?
1: I have from Mr. Andrew Riley. Loved the guard soldering walkthrough. Any chance you could walk us through getting to that incredible surface finish on the blade? How much time is spent on the grinder versus hand sanding, buffing, etc.?
0: Uh, Yes, and that... This is something that we are going to be covering. I I hope you guys understand that we're stretched pretty thin right now. Uh, The vehement group is up to, I think, four companies, including the podcast. Yep. Uh, And two of them actually make money. And 50% of the two, not any one, but half of each actually turn a profit. So as we go (laughs) through this, trying to make things happen, the videos have been pushed. We're right there. We have... 80% of the equipment we need. Obviously, we put the one video out and we want to improve upon that. So we've been putting our heads together in the after Matt and I already
1: have a hot format down. Oh, we're done, yeah. yeah. So
0: we're going to be covering, uh, I think our next episode is going to be on shaping of leather handles. Yes. And assembly and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then we will get into some blade finishes because there are so many different blade finishes. We could do an entire Mm -hmm. episode on each. And hopefully that'll shed some light. Most importantly is how do you achieve the best result with the least amount of steps. Again, right. it's, it's yep. cutting out the voodoo yep. and it, implementing just the effect. You well, know? I mean,
1: what we could, we could do three, like, like we, we probably shouldn't do this because it would be, you know, monotonous and repetitive, but I could do an entire video on how I do it. Oh, right. Matt can do an entire video on, he, on how he does it. Matt and I both know other custom knife makers who do it completely differently than we do. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and we could, we could absolutely go through and uh, and make it, make it huge if we want to, but, but the sky's the limit on this one.
0: It is. And so, I tell you what mirror polishing is one of those things. It's how, what's a mirror polish because the way people photograph on Instagram and Facebook and Tumblr mm-hmm. and all that stuff, uh, you'll get the illusion of a mirror polish. But when you go to the blade show or any big knife show, And you go to the guys who have mastered all the loveless knives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zach Buchanan is probably top of the food chain in that. And then there are hundreds of other makers that are equally as capable. But for whatever reason, maybe it's Zach's stunning personality or just his ability to adapt handles or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you look at the finishes on these knives and they're black. They are Black, like when yeah. you look at him, there is like a zero shimmer until you pick it up and you realize it's a perfect parabolic mirror. Yeah, it's unbelievable, and I can't even achieve what. Some of these guys can, right. and I can tell you how much work. There's a reason they're not mm-hmm. two thousand bucks, guys. <laughs> I can tell you how much work goes into a mirror polish yep. by my standards, and that is different than a mirror polish that by other people's standards. Yep. So it is it is interesting to see how
1: different strokes for different oh, folks. Oh, to- totally. Oh my goodness. Or, I, I, yeah, I, I just recently got into mirror polishing as well. I showed you the one that I was into. Yes. That I that I was that I was doing, and my mirror finish I thought looked really really good, but it's actually garbage. <laughs>
0: It's on the lighting, man. So yeah, it's
1: it's 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 a challenge. Really, I had one
0: on. that I took to blade that I, I high five myself on. I was like,
1: I think I remember this one. Yeah, that it, was, going. Was, it was, was good. That yeah. was
0: a black blade, so I was pretty <laughs> excited. Let's go to Ross Bickers. Add some levity. What's up with chunky fat rides in your pocket like the brick folders? Uh, we covered that in the <laughs> history segment. We are in the what was it, seventy-three centimeter yes. era yeah, yeah, of yeah. katanas mm-hmm. at this point. So yeah, it's just. <laughs> Um, people will flex with the market. Let's not Mm -hmm. forget that people are in this to put food on their table and some people will, and it's no Mm -hmm. fault, no shame. They bend to where the marketplace is to be able to sell a product. And the other hand, on the other hand, are people who have an affinity for these knives and the pendulum is swinging in their favor. So they are confident coming out to the public. Mm -hmm. If in the 1970s, somebody came out with a five sixteenths folder, they would be laughed out of the building. Yeah. But maybe in the seventies, there were guys who really liked them and now it's acceptable. So they're doing it. They're comfortable with themselves. (laughs) And so they're not for me. Um, put a couple beers down my gullet and I'll tell you exactly what I really think about them. But <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, it's, it's just where the marketplace is and it allows people who enjoy that to make those things. And if you don't like them, don't buy them. You know what I mean? That's kind of where yep. vote with your wallet. That's what I always say. <clears throat> All right. What do you have from the group, Jim?
1: All right. From Joris Mo, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, man. Sorry for Matt. How do you make your satin tiger lips finish? Is it actually just etching and then polishing and if so is this done after the handles are fixed or is it the whole or is the whole blade tiger lips still have to start trying to etch out et, try out, et, I'm sorry, Joris. Still having <laughs> still have to start trying out etching so a lot to learn for me there still.
0: You know um yes, you're on the right track. Mm-hmm. Our tiger lips finish is is proprietary in only one aspect. And I can't even tell you what that aspect is. Otherwise I'd be giving it away, mm-hmm. uh, but you're on the right track. So if you want to go satin, then it's basically etch and polish. And yep. uh, and that there's no voodoo in that. If you look at uh, some makers do Damascus and they deep etch the Damascus causing the, carbon steel to erode more than yep. the nickel content or the stainless content. Yep, that's, and then yep. they buff mm-hmm. over it. And that's what gives that topography. Yep. It's no different with etching and then polishing. And everybody has different methods. You know, obviously we use satin glow, you know, I, I'm not mm-hmm. going to do it with sandpaper, although you probably could do it with sandpaper. Or yeah. if you weren't as mechanized, you could probably get away with synthetic steel wool and some WD-40 and kind of work through the grits that way. If you wanted yeah, to do it by you, hand,
1: you, you probably, probably could. I don't, I don't know how uh, predictable the steel wool is. Or, synthetic. It's homogenous. Or, oh, okay. Yeah. And and so the
0: synthetic stuff, which is like a Scotch bright pad, but it's marketed as synthetic steel wool and it comes in the same grits, you know, triple lot, single lot, double lot. Um, so I would, I would probably do that. And then whatever polishing method you're comfortable with. Um, one tech tip that I would like to add though, and, and this is universally applicable when possible, especially unless you're experienced on a sharpened knife, everybody knows that buffers are one of the most dangerous tools in the shop. Um, it, If you want that crisp grind line to not wash out, then you need to be going edge up. Now, even if you're working on a swedge or a false grind or something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, then you want that edge up, the spine of the knife up. If you're working on the primary bevel, you want the cutting edge up. It shouldn't be sharpened at this point. That should be the last thing you do in in your process. But by doing that, it keeps that grind line crisp. So anytime that you're buffing or satining or doing anything like that on a spinning wheel, if you go edge down, you have a tendency to wash out that grind line yep. and soften it.
1: Because, because um, well, the think, think of it as, uh, especially if it's a hollow grind, the hollow grind settles into the, shape of the wheel. Right. And you can actually feel where that edge is. Yes. Edge up, uh-huh. edge down. And it makes a different sound. Uh-huh. Yeah. Edge down, you are taking that sharp line and leading it directly into the abrasive. And we, and you as, wash it out
0: as knife yep. guys, are crazy mm-hmm. about crisp lines. You know what I mean? So that would be the biggest tip. So yes, you can buff post-etching um, and then... But you want to do it with that edge up. I'm sorry. And not hand sharp. Handband. Yeah. And not sharp. Not sharp. Yeah. Because that yep. edge will grab that felt wheel and it'll, 100%, it'll take yeah. you for a ride. Or not felt, but uh, muslin or cotton. It'll, it'll take you for a ride. So, but our Gino Sensi. Hey fellas, hope all is well. This one is for both of you. And from what you old men can remember, what was your first EDC setup like? And in what memorable occasion did your childhood EDC gear come in handy? I
1: Ooh. I have this. Okay, I, I got I got kind of an answer too. but okay. go ahead. I'm sure yours is more interesting. Mine is just a list of items. <laughs> no, let's hear. Okay, let's hear all that. right, it's, all right. So mine was a mine was a Gerber um the, a Gerber multi tool that for the life of me I can't remember the name of. Nice. But when but it was the it was the old one from the 90s that when you flicked your wrist. The 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 pliers popped out.
0: Oh, I still haven't used one today.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yep. Um, and I ended up giving that away later. But uh, but I carried that and I carried a case single blade single blade stockman or single blade trapper. Oh, there you go. Okay. A case single blade trapper with a serpentine handle. Nice. And it had a it, and uh, it had just a normal just normal spay blade on it, just a single one. And I don't know if it was like one that dad had given me that somebody had modified or something, but I haven't been able to really find something like that since. I also haven't looked, so right. guilty yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> but, guilty there, but um, I used to carry both those things. When we lived in Illinois, I, um, uh, my parents owned a 15-acre uh, property with a pond on it. And I used to go play ninja, out in the woods when I was eight or nine, yeah, and and climbing, climbing, climbing. You did say eight or eight or nineteen. Like, I mean, <laughs> two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, uh, it, but no, it was a good time. That's what I used to carry in my uh, in, in my belt. That was your all the time. That, that was that was it. And then I discovered fixed blades later. Love it. So, mm-hmm.
0: uh, so my EDC starting very, very young. I'm talking, oh, good God, um, younger than seven. Because mm-hmm. I know that the turning point was uh, I had a watershed moment in my life. So, but pro, you know, it's broken in half at that point. Before seven and after seven. Sure. So before seven, and I've talked about this before on the show. I was gifted by a firefighter who worked with my grandfather, who was also also a firefighter. He had given me a Victorinox Swiss Army Champion, mm-hmm. which. I have lost in my life, but it has been restored to me, my possession, by Reed over at Northstar Trading Post. He gave me one when he had heard this story. So (laughs) I carried that knife with me along with a Maglite Solitaire. It was a single incandescent or xenon bulb or whatever, Mm -hmm. and it took a triple A, and you could barely light up the underside of a desk in a lit room with it. So, (laughs) uh, but I carried that. And then Chet, uh, my grandpa's coworker, my fellow firefighter, uh, he had also given me a generation one Leatherman tool. So when Leatherman came out, so this is in the Mm eighties, uh, and I'm sure Leatherman came out in the seventies. We should probably cover that at some point, but I mean, actually, yeah, that's yeah, I don't think we did. Okay. I don't think we covered Leatherman. Interesting history with that. But, uh, so I got one of the earliest Leathermans and I had a Swiss army knives, uh, champion, and a uh, and a solitaire, triple A solitaire, AAA solitaire by nice. Maglite. So that was it. And I, I can tell you, other than burning leaves and ants and my name and grass <laughs> with the magnifying glass on the Swiss Army knife uh, at one point, and I still have a scar somewhere. I don't. I don't want to say it's on my left index finger. I, I got a few scars in my hands after all these years, but uh, I was using it the saw to cut the banding off of a bundle of firewood to nice. put in the house. They, they said, Matt, go out in the yard and grab some firewood. So I did. And I went out and I cut the banding and it skipped across because I was trying to cut down and ah. I'm holding the wood as opposed to cutting up on the banding and uh-huh. instead of using the knife and using the saw. And it raked across and it sliced and just Uh. annihilated my left index finger. So, yeah, that was Uh. maybe not the time it came in the most handy, but that is the most (laughs) hand-related story I can recount (laughs) for my EDC as a child. So, yeah, that was – so there you go, Gino. Nice. What do you got from Trench Crew?
1: All right. From Drake C. Trestil Sr., and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that, what, in your opinion, is the functional sweet spot of stone grits for an everyday working folding knife? I found no higher than 2K on a Chisera. Yeah, it's awesome to take to take it higher for that polished fine edge, but I found it sucks for a working edge.
0: There you go. I mean... Yeah, yeah well, you kind of answered I, your own question. I, I stop at yep. 1,500. You know what I mean? Because yep. that's what I have in my KME, and I have never... Been like, man, I wish I could get this finer,
1: right? Yeah, you know, right, right? Right. So, yeah. Not, well, no, you answered your own question. Absolutely, uh, no higher than a 2K. So, what's what's recommended? If like, and we're talking like upper echelon level sharpeners, like including Tom Blodgett, have told me this: it is 2K of perfect 2K finish. Go to your 4K stone, take ten swipes, and if you want to go to a micron at 4K, at 4K you can, but you don't have to, and then just drop off. That is your working edge. It's toothy enough to last and uh, your geometry should be fine at that point it's great those higher grits are for in my opinion this is jim stewart's humble opinion from behind the blade podcast the higher grits than that are for one razors of all types and two polishing gemstones
0: oh there you go right
1: interesting right putting putting that final luster on polishing gemstones that's what you would use that stuff for and those higher grits are kind of there for you to kind of play around with I mean, like you can you can take a razor and you can dry shave with it. Like like the edge is so fine that you dry shave with it, and then you splash some aftershave on, and you get nothing. Wow. No sting whatsoever. Wow. Okay. I mean, and, and 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 those those types of emulsions and stones will get you there. But for a working knife, if you take an edge that far, you're it'll never last. It's You'll roasted have, as soon as you cut something. As soon as you especially cut, especially Oh, cardboard has silica in it. Right. I mean, which so, is sand. Which is yeah, sand. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, which is like little little shards of glass and stone. Right. And so, so I mean, yeah. You want you want to kind of avoid that. But for a working edge, you answered your own question. Two K is beautiful. Yeah. Two K is beautiful. And, no. I mean, the
0: top. This yeah. is high. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I go fifteen hundred, and then not a, a whole process of four micron mm-hmm. uh, emulsion. So, but that's what I do on mine when I'm setting an edge, you know, especially using the KME. Word. So. Um, uh, Micah Zelinsky PM2 versus Benchmade. I, I can honestly say if you said PM2 versus question mark, I'm gonna say PM2. <laughs> uh, Benchmade 940 for EDC and why listen mm-hmm. to all the podcasts and love them all. History segments are my favorite. Great work, Matt and Jim. Thank you so Thank much, you. Micah. We really, re- really appreciate it. Um, uh, we love doing the history segments too, so that mm-hmm. works out fantastically. Uh, paramilitary 2. I like it. Is the 940 the Contigo? Is
1: that? Um, can you? No, I had a 940, but I ended up giving it away. Which um, is it? Um, it was a Mel Pardue design. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: I, I told Hold you on. that.
1: I'm pretty sure that's no. I'm thinking of Osborne. I, I know the Mel Pardue. Oh, oh, you know what? It might that actually might be it. Actually, you said Osborne, and that might be it. I'm forgive me, guys. I'm not totally and I, familiar. I with I totally this. know this knife. Hold it. So you're hearing typing. Night. I had one. Benjamin oh, 940. Osborne, yeah, yeah. Osborne. Yeah. Okay, Osborne, right. That's Osborne, yeah, you're no you're totally right. I Born had this Osborne. I had this reverse Tonto one.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah, that's the knife that I thought. I tell you yeah. what, the nine forty is a hot knife to me. I really like the aesthetic. Um however I like the taller handle of the PM two yeah. I, I used to train knife combators with uh Mike Janich over at Marshall Blade Concepts. Yo. And obviously mm-hmm. he's a spokesperson for yep. Spider Click. I got to
1: meet him in Ewa. I don't know if I oh, told nice. you that. No, I yeah, didn't, no. Yeah. yeah, no, no, yeah, that was a while ago. I thought I did. Maybe today. you did. I'm yeah. not a good listener. Super, That's why I have yeah. a talk show. He was a super <laughs> cool dude, but of like course. absolutely the last person you want to mess with. No, yeah. <laughs> you can tell by and looking at him. Mike's, yeah. Mike's a tough cat. Yeah, he's he's cool. a <laughs> uh, cool dude too, on top of that.
0: Oh, I can make some sticks. Hum, I tell you what. He's he's pretty impressive. But uh I really like the nine forty. I love the aesthetic of it, which is crazy because I'm actually not that much of a Benchmade fan when it comes to their designs. We we're actually just talking about this off the air, mm-hmm. and that's totally personal information, yep. so it didn't belong in the show. But I thought it was a great looking knife. I've handled a number of them. I know the fixed blade version is also pretty cool to me. However, I'm a PM2 guy. It's a short blade. It's not as menacing looking when you produce it from your pocket. It's insanely effective. I mm-hmm. absolutely stand behind, uh, especially the PM2 being a U.S. blade. I know exactly where it's heat treated. I know yep. exactly what methods they use. They used to heat treat our blades. Um, I So there's just so many things about the paramilitary, two that I love that I wouldn't trade it for the world. And out of thousands of dollars of folders that I have, including even like sabenzas and Customs and everything like that, oh, there it is. I'm carrying a PM2 <laughs> today. So as yeah. a self-proclaimed knife expert— th- Everything else is because you like it better, not necessarily because it is better. Because I have put this knife through ridiculous paces, including industrial labor, and it's always served me well. Mm-hmm. I like the way it looks. I like the way it carries.
1: PM2 for the win. Yep. I would have to agree. I actually have two of them. Nice. I have a, Show off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got one. I got one. Um, I offered a, a custom for a trade for one. And uh, and it was in uh, Ghost Green Jade Scales, which I'm not necessarily crazy about. But it was the CPM M4 blade. Oh, nice! That I that I that I really wanted to try out. And I, I know Spyderco's heat treat is phenomenal. You know, yeah, of it, course, it's yes. really good. Okay. So, uh, so, so I had to have it. So I ended up with a couple of them. Nice. So yeah, cool. Killer nice. Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, what else you got? All right, let's see. Um, Shane Hulena. Hello, Shane. <laughs> so I decided to cave in and get a KME knife sharpener and boho. Does it get blades so much sharper than my hand sharpening? My question is, is it normal for the edge to get wider towards the tip of the blade than the heel? Or am I doing it wrong?
0: That is... Ju- is that okay. the end kind of the
1: question? Um, well, he's got, he's got a picture for context, and I'm, and it answers the kind of the question. Um, my question is, is it normal for the edge to get wider towards the tip of the blade than the heel? Or am I doing it wrong? I get, I ha- I get this happen a lot of my blades. Okay, so... And then he's got a picture of a large Sebenza 21. Um, part do you know what, you the, know what that is? That's the hologram. It, nope. it, it's staying off the edge.
0: It's jaw placement. He needs to move oh, the jaws okay, of his yeah, KME yeah. closer to the tip. You want the jaws of your clamp right. to be kind of in the middle of the blade. Cause trust me, this is something I go through gotcha. and, and, and sharpening customs, custom knives are typically, typically going to have a little bit of a thicker tip mm-hmm. just for durability's sake. You know what I mean? But whereas machine knives are going to be exactly the same all the way gotcha. around, at least from a vehement shop. That's my thing. Um, it, and I think a lot of other custom makers do the same. So uh, you need to move your jaws to the middle of the blade. You're setting too close to the handle mm-hmm. and that's causing that angle to kind of change a little bit as right. you get further out. Now, just to underscore the customer service that you can experience from KME, contact them and they will tell you exactly what you need to do to correct this issue because you are going to have a little bit of a change. But based on the jaw placement on the blade, you'll see a marked improvement.
1: Awesome, awesome. I I was thinking, because he had the uh, Sabenza 21, that the hollow grind was just thinner at the heel and then thickened up towards the tip. But- I went but through this. No, no, so oh many no, yeah, I don't. Your your yeah. your answer is definitely a hell of a lot better than mine. It's like, <laughs> yeah, so I just. I'm have like, to it's a manufacturing place. defect, and they're like, no, it's a U defect. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> all part of the learning so, curve. No, it, however,
0: you're gonna have a, mm-hmm. a great cutting edge when you get up there, anyways, because it's gonna mm-hmm. self adjust. And uh, if you are a hand sharpener, I can tell you, when it comes to my knives, I will spend all that time reprofile reprofiling an edge with a KME. And then I use that to set my bevel, and I actually hand sharpen from there in.
1: Oh yeah, well it's, it's like setting a it's like setting a guideline for yourself. It is yep. absolutely, and you can you can feel it kind of settle on yep. the stone. Yeah, that's 100%. the joy of having yeah. a flat guided edge. Yep. You know, otherwise,
0: you're just convexing and convexing yep. and convexing. Yep, unintentionally. and
1: then and then it, it does become a little bit of a it does become a little bit of a I don't I was gonna say crapshoot, but that's wrong. It, it's a little bit more of a guessing game. Yes, you know, yeah. um, with the whole thing until you really get used to what you're doing. If you're just hand yep. sharpening, right? Yep. So
0: that takes some mm-hmm. of the guesswork out. Uh, all right. So, Brian Newberry, two just-for-fun history questions. Okay. One. Oh, this is good. <laughs> you were transported back in time to 1804 and part of the Corps of Discovery expedition with Lewis and Clark. <laughs> what one knife from any era do you want with you and why? Two, you have to replace your EDC knife with one that was made pre-1900. What then are you carrying, good sir?
1: Well, like how close to 1900 is allowed? Can I say Marbles Woodcraft? Pre, yeah,
0: of course, yeah. I mean anything <laughs> well, pre. Well, that was it, 19. It, that was 1900, it, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. in 1900.
1: Yeah, or, or oh. just 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 before 1898,
0: right? I have one downstairs. Hmm. I'm pretty sure it's 1900. I don't want to run down there and get it.
1: I'm not. I'm not 100. But I'm. It's going to be or, in that area. It, it's either. Are. It's either. It's either that was the founding of Marbles. In 1898. Mm-hmm. Or it was when the woodcraft became the mainstay. I can't remember which one's which. I want to say the early, like, you know what? You know what? The early 1900s, like 1912. Yeah. 1915 was the woodcraft, and I'm just wrong. No, I it was mean, patented in <clears> 1900. <throat> I, now I have it? to go get it. I'll oh, be right okay. back. All I'll right. be right
0: back. So while I'm running downstairs to get my marbles woodcraft with the patent date written on the Ricasso, <laughs> um, uh-huh. Jim... What knife would you carry on the Corps of
1: Discovery? Oh man, on the Corps of Discovery, if I could, it, wait. I don't totally have. I don't totally have all the context here. So I'm gonna reach across for Matt's phone because that's where we're reading. That's where we're reading the questions from. And all right, um, what, one knife from any era. Okay, um, one knife from any era. If I were to take one knife on an expedition like that, uh oh, I heard an ooh. I heard an ooh. Are we? Is it said 1916? Oh, so I'm totally wrong about that. <laughs> I can't take a woodcraft with me. But as far as any knife from any era that I could take with me, it would probably be, um, Randall Model Three, five inch.
0: Really, on the core, on
1: the uh, Lewis and Clark. It's, Northwest either, it's, Passage either, Expedition? It's, it's either that. It's either that, or it'd be some type of uh, machete. Because I'm like super Ooh. practical. You know, when it, when it comes to this stuff, if it's trail clearing and surveying, I'm not gonna need to. Carry an axe, right? Or, well, or I,
0: you said yeah. knife. I, was, I yeah. think axe is yeah. granted, right? Okay, axe is granted. You're allowed okay. your cast All right. iron take pot, yep. your air pump BB gun, right? Your you know uh, pump BB that's, BB that's, gun. they had they had they had like oh, a no, right. uh, it had like a bicycle pump and it charged a little bladder inside of it. Oh, huh. and I tell you what, it was a game changer for them. It blew the natives' mind when they when they came through. That's awesome. And they were like, check out what we can do. We <laughs> like BB l- gun.
1: L- yeah, yeah <laughs> check this that out. that was pretty cool. So um, so yeah, I would. uh I mean, I mean. I think that's more my bias, but I love the feel of the handle. I love the utility purposes of it. Um or I don't know, some a Ray Mears bushcraft? A woodlore? A Woodlore. A woodlore. I'd have to have some
0: combat capability because you never yeah. know what you're gonna run into. Uh, that's
1: that's true. That's I, true.
0: I would be somewhere between an S E Hunglas, which is right. I right, think you're, would...
1: you're talking pure practicality too. Yeah, yeah, a little absolutely. bit on the machete yeah. side
0: or a Falcon even S1. Yeah. Let me think about this. Oh, that's such a good question,
1: and because we have like such a huge retinue to pick from, and it's only one. I think,
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I would probably go with the Felkney s one if I could have okay. any. If I uh, from any yeah. era, right? If you have to pick from right. any era,
1: because you, you need one good knife.
0: I'm such a dagger fan that like my collection is daggers. <laughs> so, but that obviously isn't practical. And when it comes to camping, I have the most experience of the Felton S one mm-hmm. as a bushcraft or survival knife. Yep. It's super lightweight. Yep. Which if you think about that era, nothing was lightweight. Everything's oiled yeah. canvas and cast oh, right. iron. Right. So any, um, not that shaving outs is going to make a difference, but <laughs> it'd be nice to have one thing that didn't weigh a ton. That. um, It's capable. I, You know what? No,
1: what? I'm amending. Okay. Amend, amend, amend away. Felt oh, oh shoot. <laughs> you t- you changed your mind. Did you change your mind again? Yes. What's up? Felt- even A1. The A1? Okay. The okay. A1. Yeah, the, the larger one, right? The l- yes. It's larger than the yeah. S1. Mm-hmm.
0: Your probability of running into uh, aggressive wildlife, uh, maybe hostile human beings, mm-hmm. anything like that, that puts a little bit more distance between you and the bad guy. Mm-hmm. So I would go with the A1 because it is an app chopper. It does have the weight conservation of the S1, although it's scaled up in dimension, so therefore it weighs a little bit more. The convex edge geometry, which I'm a fan of, I... Felkneven A one for the win. That's going with me on the Northwest Passage. You know, I'll I tell didn't. you what, uh, I I have a fantasy of someday reenacting it. Now I know yeah. some parts, <laughs> some parts of that entire journey are now private property. You have to ask permission to cross into them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. People own that land, but I I have this like, wouldn't it be cool if like a Discovery Channel thing followed me and a crew of people as yeah. we navigated the Northwest Passage, just right. like Lewis and Clark did, and followed in their footsteps? I think that would mm-hmm. just yep, yep. be the bee's knees. So uh, <laughs> I did it again. Uh, <laughs> but that would be super cool. So that's what I would do. And then, what pre nineteen hundred would you carry?
1: Pre nineteen hundred, I don't know if I know enough about it to give you a proper answer. I mean, because I think everybody. It would've been a
0: good time to say Bowie knife.
1: A Bowie knife. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. As, soon as you said that, I'm like the dates clicked in my head, and I'm just like focused on all the wrong stuff tonight. Right. Yeah. No. That, absolutely. Oh, it's or a BDC. Or, a, or, a, or a Natchez Bowie. Yeah. Probably be pretty good too. Yeah. Roughly the same time.
0: <clears throat> I think uh, because of the broad acceptance of what a Bowie pattern is. Yeah,
1: and the, the, it it's just so general coming yep. from back coming from back then because because blade designs were super pragmatic. Back then, yes, they were they were supremely pragmatic back then. So it's like, so it's like you you have you have a choice between variations of two or three different blade styles, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like thin stocks, thin thin stock, thin thick stock, thin stock. You know, you know, do you want it five inches? I mean, at minimum, you know, to to, for to an, bigger for an
0: yeah, for an EDC knife. Mm-hmm. I'll think about that one, but I, yeah, I, I think it would probably be a Bowie knife. I mean, let's be honest. I know me, right? mm-hmm. that's what I would carry. You'd carry a large knife. Yeah, yep. I'd probably. Would. Yep, yeah. I would. I would
1: say probably a Natchez Bowie for yeah, me. There you go. Then uh, just coffin handle, coffin handle all day, wide leaf blade. There you go. You know, you nickel, can throw silver, it. nickel Silver, Nicholas Silver, cut stuff with it. Oh yeah, camp with it. I mean, even if you don't hit it with the edge, it's the weight. You take a guy off a horse. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> precisely. Right. Just ask Jim. Uh, <laughs> so, Bowie, not you, but you right. can ask you too. Yeah, here, you're okay. both Jim's. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Oh, what do you got? All right, <clears throat> from Rob Rob Benwell, man, I cannot read and speak today. It's like I can do one or the other. Rob Benwell, subhilt fighters. What's the point in the second guard? Matt- That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's the it's the stick and pull it back
0: and pull it back out
1: and pull it you, back. You're hog
0: hunting. You stab a hog. Those muscles constrict contract around right. the blade whether it's a hog or a two-legged varmint yep. or whatever it is and you need to pull that knife back out for a secondary strike if need be you have a very you have a higher tendency for a strong withdrawal by having that trigger behind your finger yep i mean it is more security in your grip but the, quite honestly it's just withdrawal so being able mm-hmm. to pull back out in a hurry it, it that does it that gives you that that leverage point that purchase yep
1: know? yep and i and I suppose. Um... A more pithy answer would be for what's the point in selling? Or what, what's the point in the second guard would we'll be selling? It sexes <laughs> up a
0: knife like yeah. no other. No, yeah, abso- it's
1: absolutely true. It uh, should be it should no. be done right to where it's not restrictive.
0: Yeah. Um. So it doesn't inhibit your grip in any grip configuration. Yes. To be quite honest, yeah, with you, you should
1: be able to flow through it. You should be able to go from one hand one hand grip to the other hand grip yep. without it getting in the way.
0: And it just gives you so, the, it's like a Hearst shifter knob. You true. know what I mean? Like yeah. it just gives you that extra comfort grip. And control in any direction, any axis of movement, you have more control over it. Mm -hmm. So that's why. For sure, Uh, Dan if you don't drink beer with steamed crabs, are you a communist? Are you? (laughs) Do you know who you're asking? (laughs) Holy cow! Yeah, of
1: course you are. That's funny. Yeah. Um. Actually, uh, one of the one of Clutch's new songs coming out in their new album is called "Hot Bottom Feeder." It's it's the lead singer's recipe on uh new uh new. Or Maryland, no, Maryland Crab Cakes. That is awesome. It, and it's a great song, too. Yeah. It's genuinely a good song. Yeah, Neil so.
0: Fallon's recipe on crab cakes. <laughs> oh. Stuff
1: it up. <laughs> That's sweet. It's a good time. What do you got? Um, let's see. We're getting toward the end here. Jer-bear. Jer Bear. Jer. Jer Bear. Uh, what is the first knife you want to test when you when you start your testing? So we were talking about having the uh the testing, a testing station. Mm-hmm. What What's the first thing on the uh, in the queue? K-Bar. A K- a classic K-Bar.
0: I would like that yep. to be, I've made this reference before, mm-hmm. in the explosives in industry, everything is compared to TNT. Right. So C4 is like, I don't remember what the oh, ratio Oh, I see is. where you're going with it's this. It's 2.4 yeah. times mm-hmm. the uh, response of TNT or right. whatever it is. So uh, we need a baseline. And I think there is no better baseline than the Navy Mark II. Yep. Um, I, you know, I, I know I Reed is yeah. freaking out right now. I know Reed is screaming at his speakers right now because <laughs> he hates the K bar. He's a Marine too. You know what I mean? So <laughs> everybody has their reasons, but <laughs> I would probably start there and treat the Navy Mark II, Uh, and I, we would use a contemporary K bar. Mm-hmm. I would use that as our baseline of comparison. So if we could, chuck it up in a vise and stack 50 pounds on it before it deflected or before it broke. And it'll take a lot more than that, but I'm just using a number. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we should be able to take another knife and stack at least that amount of weight or more right. to be able to tell where it stands up. Uh, so I think baseline knife K bar,
1: right? No, 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 no. I I totally 100% agree. Cool. Uh, you, we, you have to have, you have to establish a control. Yep. I mean, and, uh, and that would probably be the number one. Absolutely. Um, there's a follow-up question. If oh. you'd allow me to go ahead and just jump gears real quick, go for it. It's a sub. It's a sub uh, question from Jeff Dunn. My question is related to this. What is the progress on the test bed knife model that will be made in different steels with different heat treat for testing, similar to the Spyderco Mule Team project, if I understand correctly? Um, yeah, that's pretty fair. The, the Spiderco Mule Team project. Yep, um, exactly I, bought, nice. I bought mules exactly for that. Yep. Um, Matt and I have not sat down to, te- to to design something yet, but it's still like right with the test bed stuff. And so we'll be we'll be ponying up the cash and uh, getting getting stuff made and, oh, and then yeah. testing different testing different knives. We, have so we just have to come up with something. With generic knife, yeah. Yeah, with just a generic knife. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. In. easy easy peasy. But um, yeah, that's that's coming along and it's definitely in the works.
0: Um, I've got uh, two also related that are short. Um, Go one for is it. From Damian Vaut.
1: Go. We'll call we'll call this one the
0: that we'll cut yeah. off yeah, yeah. Okay. W- would love to see a section on Kukri's. Uh we actually tried that and it ended up turning into an entire epic tale about falcatas yeah and uh, what was the other copus and all those yep. uh, so yes we still actually need to get into Kukri's because we tried and the history goes back yep. so far like to Charlemagne and stuff like
1: that right, right, <laughs> we right. Like, maybe, maybe we need like maybe <clears throat> we, need, we need like a beer cigarette Saturday yeah where, where you and I talk about this and condense the information down into like a cool tale yeah you know and then we'll do we'll do that and then probably make the test Knife.
0: pretty cool and uh hewitt custom millwork mm-hmm. uh, let's hear the history of puma knives and you know what that is an interesting one yeah, that's and a good one. I, we love getting mm-hmm. history suggestions because there's so much out there and it's like walking into a record store all of a sudden you forget what your favorite band is right you're just like yeah. oh my god i don't know what to pick today so uh that's a good one uh kukri's and pumas we could definitely do rap sessions on no problem and i think that
1: is a podcast. It is a podcast. This is uh, Jim Stewart signing off for himself and Mr. Matt Martin. All in one shot for episode 35 of Behind the Blade podcast. You guys can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts now. I think it's Apple Podcasts. It's can not iTunes. it on us? It, I think they switched uh, it. They changed the name a couple of times, but it's Apple Podcasts, it's Google Play, it's Stitcher, it's iHeartRadio, it's it's uh, wherever your podcasts aggregate, including SoundCloud, where we host the podcast on. Um, you guys, hit that subscribe button, please. Don't forget to leave us a nice review. And uh, you guys should check out our Facebook group. Our Facebook group, Behind the Blade Trench Crew. You should join. If you're not a member, get to that. Facebook.com slash group slash BTV Trench Crew. Also, you should like our page, Facebook.com slash Behind the Blade Podcast. And I believe that is a wrap session. Good, sir. So, everybody, have a great night.